to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. The title of today's message is We're in this together. We're in this together. You've probably heard that phrase before. You've probably had someone tell you that before. Maybe you've told someone that before. But when you hear that phrase, what do you think of? Now, I had planned to start off with that question. And I had specific responses in my mind. But I found out this morning that something about that phrase is very much tied into a show called High School Musical, which I never saw. I guess it was a series of movies. So some of you, when you hear this, music, high school music, that's not where we're headed. I don't even know how it's used in that series of shows. But apart from that context, and so you're like, high school musical, what's that? I, I haven't been in high school like since, you know, forget it. Anyway, when you hear that phrase, we're in this together. What do you think of? What I think of is... Working with someone else, encouraging, supporting, and helping one another in a specific situation. And that specific situation can be a positive thing, like there's a big project, there's something we want to accomplish, or whatever, and we're in this together, we're not doing it alone, you know, we can do more together than we can by ourselves, and so we're in this together. But sometimes this is used because a person or a group of people are facing a problem, a crisis, a difficulty. And you say, you know what? This is tough. But we want you to know you're not alone. We're in this together. We're in this together. And the reason I believe God led me to preach about this today has to do with what we're getting ready to launch into tonight. And we've already been talking about it this morning, and that is two weeks of services every night except for next Saturday. You got Saturday. We got Saturday off. Services every night outside under a tent. The idea is kind of an old-fashioned tent crusade. And we want to reach out to our community. And we want people to come to know Jesus. That's a big project. And it's been in planning for over a year. A lot of little details that's got to be taken care of. And Elder Lynn Wedderburn has taken the lead in that. And has overseen that. But it wasn't something he couldn't do by, he could do all by himself. There's not a single person alive that could accomplish all that needed to be done and needs to be done all by themselves. But that's why we're all in this together. We're all in this together. That's been true of the planning leading up to it, all the things that needed to be done. But we also know, or at least I know, and many of you know, that there have been some problems along the way. You know, issues that pop up, well, how are we going to handle that? Well, you know what? We're going to figure it out. We're all in this together. And can I tell you that over the next two weeks, there'll probably be some more things that'll pop up. Just like there have been all along the way, and in the last couple of days, not being able to get into the tent until tomorrow night. But you know what? We're all in this together. But there's another aspect to it too, totally apart from accomplishing this big project and these problems that seem to pop up, and that is an issue that perhaps you've heard about before. We've talked about it before 
And if you've got a relationship with God, you're very familiar with it, whether you think of it in these terms or not, and that is spiritual warfare. We have an enemy that comes against us personally all the time. We have an enemy that comes against us as a family that meets in this place, the body of Christ, this church that comes against us all the time. And we also have an enemy that would like to see the next two weeks of services have as little effect as possible. And so our enemy will be doing everything he can to cause problems. And not just the little problems that pop up, like the tent not being inspected yet, technical problems. And you know the biggest area he'd love to cause problems is between people. Whether we're talking about people that are involved in the event, if he can get them crosswise with each other and it causes problems, or between people we might invite, or if he can cause problems in any way, he is going to do that. One of the things I want to throw in there also, it's really cool that in the midst of this, and we say we're all in this together, we're not just talking about our church and our people, although I want to say that, you know, from the involvement that I've seen and the things that I've heard, almost everybody in our church has been or is being involved in this particular event in one way or another, in one way or another. And if you're here and you say, you know what, I, I haven't done much, I've been praying and maybe you've given or what, but I don't know what I could do, there's still room and opportunity to serve in some way. Talk to us about that and we would love to plug you in and maybe give you something to do that you'd be glad to do and God will use you in that. But it's not just our church. When the idea was first talked about, the door was open to all the other Bible-believing, preaching, teaching churches in Marion Oaks and the surrounding area say, hey, we're going to do this. If you want to be involved, come join us. And as it's all kind of come together, it's all narrowed down to four other churches that have joined with us. There's five of us churches. I think it is so cool that five of churches in this area that each have their own identity, their own mission for the Lord, doing God's work, are coming together to see this happen because we're all in this together. So, we're going to be looking at this story in 2 Samuel chapter 10. And it's a story of a battle. And from this story, we're going to draw some thoughts about how we can all be in this together in a very positive way and meet whatever the enemy would throw against us or throw before us to try to cause us difficulty. And I want to challenge you as we listen to this that you say, you know what, I want to do my part because we are all in this all together. So I want to do my part to do these things we're going to be talking about. And even though I'm going to be talking about it in the context of what we're doing this week as a church, joining with other churches to reach our community, I want to tell you the principles apply to your own personal life too and to your relationships with one another as you as individuals and as you as couples, if you're a couple, and you as families face the attack of the enemy and face the difficulties of life. Because even in those situations, we need to know that we're all in this together. So let's take a look at this story. I need to give you a little bit of the background, and you can read this later, but the story actually starts at the beginning of Second Samuel chapter 10. But I'm not going to read the first five verses. I'm just going to tell you what it's all about. It takes time. It takes place during the time of King David. King David has a reputation of being one of the strongest kings of God's people, Israel. And he certainly was. He had a heart for God. He loved God. He worshiped God. He wrote two-thirds, I think it is, of the Psalms. 
valiant warrior for God's cause. God did mighty and awesome things through him. He was greatly persecuted by the previous king because the previous king thought David wanted to take over. And David says, I just want what God wants. And so he's on the run for almost 20 years before Saul died and David became king. At this point in the story, David has become a very strong king and he's in the middle of doing all that God wants him to do. He has not reached the place yet where he fell into some terrible sin. Fortunately, after that sin, he repented. God restored him and God continued to use him, although the consequences of the sin would continue to last through generations. Just a little side note there. God can forgive any sin, but we can't use that as an excuse to sin. We should not use it as an excuse to sin, saying, well, God will forgive me. He will if you repent. But the consequences can reap terrible effects in your life and the life of those around you. That's, that's a whole different sermon. Let me get back to track here. So David is king, king of Israel. Right next door to Israel on the other side of the Jordan River is another nation called Ammon. And they've been in really good relationship. It's not always been that way. Sometimes there's been skirmishes and battles between them. But right now, David is king of Israel, has had a good relationship with the king of Ammon, and the king of Ammon died. And so David says, I want to, you know, we've had some good relationship. We've shown some loyalty to each other. I want to show my loyalty. That word is used. That means faithfulness. That means kindness. That means good relationship. I want to show that to his son, his son, Hanan. I'm going to send some representatives, some delegates to go and issue our condolences and say, hey, we're here for you. Is there anything we can help you? We, we just, we're just so sorry for the loss of your ruler. And we know that now that you're going to be in charge. And so David sent these ambassadors to Hanan, the son of the king who had died. And Hanan was a young man and a little bit foolish. And he talked to his advisors and his advisor says, I think there's an ulterior motive here. Now, there wasn't. So I think there's an ulterior motive here. I think David has sent, have sent these men under the guise of being nice and friendly and all that kind of stuff, you know, to offer their condolences, but they're really here to spy out our defenses. I think now that your dad's gone, David wants to attack. So Hanan does something very, very foolish. He decides to totally reject their kind advances and humiliate them. He takes David's ambassadors and he does two things that would be utterly and completely humiliating to anybody, but especially to a man. Well, I guess one of them would only be applied to a man because it has to do with a beard. Anyway, I'll leave that one alone. Just about every male had a beard back then. That was a sign of your maturity, of your manhood, of your position. And the longer your beard was, the more respected and revered you were. And it says that he cut off half of their beards. Now, most Bible scholars believe that doesn't mean they just made it shorter, but that they actually kind of split it down the middle of their face and cut off one half on one side to totally and completely humiliate them. But not only that, they're under guard. They couldn't resist. They cut off their clothing from the hips down. Don't try to picture it. But humiliated in that way, they were sent home. Now, please understand, these guys are David's emissaries. So basically what this is saying is that we did these to these guys, but they represent you, David, so this is what we wish you could do for you. 
They abused them. They mistreated them. They humiliated them. They intimidated them. Well, that's where we pick up the story. Because David is not happy. He talks to the guys that came back. And he says, listen, you know, just isolate yourselves so you can grow your beards back and whatever, and, and we'll take care of you. But obviously, David's upset. He wasn't wanting to go to war now, but then, but now he does. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 6. It says, when the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David. What that literally means in the real language is that they smell like donkey stuff. In David's nostrils. They realized that this is, David is really upset, which they should have figured that out before they did it. Maybe they did it on purpose. Maybe he thought, hey, this is a great time. Maybe we can conquer David. I don't know. But when the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, the Ammonites sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rehob and some other Syrians. So they got their own army, but they say, we're going to go for a sure thing. So we're going to hire some mercenary soldiers and they hire 30 something thousand mercenary soldiers to come help them. Jump down to verse 7. And when David heard of it, see, David's not done anything yet. When David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. And the Ammonites came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and Rehob and the men of Tob and Ma'akah were by themselves in the open country. So David says, okay, he's amassing an army. He's getting ready to attack. I'm not going to wait for it to happen. I am going to take the offensive. So he sends Joab out with the entire army. They cross the Jordan River. They're at the main uh, city. Most people think it's um, what is uh, now Amman, Jordan. Okay, uh, that was the main city at the time. And the people of Ammon are there at their city, but all these mercenaries have come, but they didn't join the people at the city. They're out there in the field. So now Joab and the army of David, the army of God, find themselves between two forces caught in the middle. What do you do? Verse 9. When Joab saw the battle was set against him, both in front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men he put in charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites, divided the army in two, took the best men, put them against the Syrians. That's the biggest army. They're mercenaries. They're trained for war. He takes his brother Abishai, says, put the rest of the men with you. You guys take care of the Ammonites. They're standing in front of their city gates. Verse 11. And he says, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God and, and, and may the Lord do what seems good to him. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to battle against the Syrians and they fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, they likewise fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. As I said, I want to draw from this three thoughts, three principles about how we can support each other in God's work, how we can support each other these next couple of weeks as we are endeavoring to do what we're doing with this special series of services. We can support each other in our own personal conflicts with the enemy. What we can do to show that we are in this together. 
You know, a word that Joab uses a couple of times is courage. Courage. And that is part of the word encourage. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but to encourage someone has an association with courage. Because to encourage someone means to say or do things to build up the courage of the person you're trying to encourage. To build up that courage, to build up that spirit, to build up confidence. So even the word, the word encourage is not used in this passage, the principles we're going to look at have to do with encouraging. And the first one is this. Encourage others with your words. Say, Pastor, that seems kind of simple. It is so simple, but it is extremely powerful. If we want to show that we're in this together and we want to be there for each other, we need to encourage each other. We need to encourage others with our words. Encourage others with your words. In the midst of preparing for this battle, doing what they're called to do, Joab, the army commander, What's the first thing that we see? What's the main thing that stands out here? He is encouraging his brother. He is encouraging the army. They're facing this weird situation. They're facing overwhelming odds. And not only that, but they show up at the battlefield and now they're between two armies. I don't know at what point they did, they, they, they found out that's what was going to happen, but that's got to be discouraging. They're going to have to fight on two fronts. But what does he do? Let's go back and look at verses 11 and 12 again. He says, listen, we're going to split up. And if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you come help me. Okay? I need you to be there for me. I need to know that we're together in this. I know you've got my back. But if we're doing okay and the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I'll come help you. I want you to know I've got your back. We're in this together. He says, be of good courage. Okay, we can do this. We're together. Be of good courage. And let us be courageous for our people. He says, listen, I'm encouraging you, but we got to go out. We got to encourage everybody else, okay? We got to take a stand, not just for ourselves, but for, for God's purpose. We got to take a stand for God's army. We've got to take a stand for God's people. Be of good courage and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. Encourage other Others with your words. Joab sort of like giving a pep talk, a coach to the team before the game or at halftime. It's kind of what came to my mind. It's like, we've got this. You guys can do it. It's been encouraging. And I want to tell you something. Our words have tremendous power. God's word talks a lot about the power of our words for good or for bad. If you read through the book of Proverbs, there's a ton of Proverbs about the effect of our words. I just want to read two of them to you. Very common. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That doesn't mean that you could literally kill somebody by saying something. But it just means the effects of what you say can bring about what seems like death in someone. It can be so discouraging, so demeaning, so humiliating so psychologically or emotionally devastating. It's it's terrible. But he says the opposite's true too. Your words can bring life. Your words can bring hope to a hopeless situation. Your words can bring life to a situation that people feel like is dead. 
Our words are so powerful. Another place, Solomon, in Proverbs, Solomon gives a proverb that puts it in a more picturesque way. In Proverbs 12, 18, he says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Some people use words in such a way, it's like somebody sticking a sword in your gut and twisting it. Whereas other people's words can bring healing to you. Words can discourage, they can encourage. You know, it's not just our words to each other, but we have to realize that our enemy uses words to discourage too. The enemy is going to be constantly speaking to us. You can't do that. That's not going to work. You'll never amount to anything. God doesn't really love you. You're too wicked for God. You've done too much. You, you fail too often. All kinds of lies that the enemies, that the enemy would bring to us. And he also is really good at taking the truth and emphasizing it in such a way that it becomes a lie. But we believe it all the more because there's certainly, there is an aspect of truth to it. Our enemy comes against us with his words. It's part of his strategy. It's how he tempts us, how he discourages us. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not trying to say that we should never say anything that could be construed as negative. That we should ignore the negative and just think happy thoughts and say happy things. A kind of Pollyanna attitude. And some of you are like, who's Pollyanna? How many of you remember Pollyanna? Oh, good. Enough of you that it made me say that. Okay. Pollyanna is a young lady in a Disney movie that always had this positive attitude. Okay. Good thing to have. Good thing to have. But I'm not saying we should ignore that. We shouldn't ignore the problems. We shouldn't ignore potential problems. But the issue is the attitude. Okay? We deal with the problems. We deal with the negative. But how, what kind of attitude are we going to have? And, and we've faced that a number of times in, in, in the last year or so, planning this crusade, and you create, planning this event. You know, we make some plans, and then all of a sudden, these things pop up. Well, I don't know if that's going to work the way it's going to. Okay? The enemy could use that and say, well, so we sh- shouldn't even try. Well, I, I you, know, it's, 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 you know, all these thoughts that will pop up, but instead of having the attitude of, well, let's just give up, let's just forget it, let's just cut back, let's just do whatever, it's like, okay, that could be a potential problem, but how are we going to solve the problem? If this is what God's called us to do, and that's a potential issue, how do we take care of it? You see, it's an issue of attitude. The same thing is true in our personal lives. Just because we want to be positive, we want our words to help, we want our words to heal, doesn't mean that we ignore the issues in our own lives or the lives of other people. We've got to deal with them. But again, it's the attitude. Do you talk to that family member that's struggling with something in a way that tears them down and makes them feel like they can never succeed? Or do you go to them and say, hey, there's a problem here. We need to take care of it. But I believe in you. And I believe in what God can do with us together. You see, we don't ignore the negative. We don't ignore the problems. But we face them with the attitude of we can overcome them. If this is what God's called us to do. And this is what God wants us to do. I think we see that attitude in a verse that Paul says in Ephesians 4.29. And he's talking about all the stuff that comes out of our mouths. But I think it definitely applies to this. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
I, 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 I keep saying, every time I quote that, I can need to preach a whole sermon on this verse. That whatever comes out of your mouth should be good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You know, sometimes we got to talk about negative things, and it can fit all three of those things. Okay? We talk about the problems, we talk about the whatever, but we're going to do it in such a way that it will eventually build up because it's going to solve the problem. And we're going to make sure that we do it as it fits the occasion. And we want to do it in such a way that it's going to bring about grace. It's going to bring about God's goodness. It's going to bring about God's solution. There have been a number of people that have testified over the last, even the last couple of weeks and months until it became almost a mantra. And that is of negative thoughts, just negative thoughts, negative thoughts. And so it became kind of a mantra. Well, you know what? We're not going to, we're not going to dwell on the negative thoughts. We're going to deal with them in the name of Jesus. And we're going to go forward. Going to go forward. This applies in our personal lives. It applies in all the things that we're working on, all the things that we're doing. So, we need to encourage others with your words. The second thing is this, encourage others with your actions. Again, you might say, Pastor, that, that is just so simple. I thought we were getting something deep here. What well, can I tell you? This is deep, again, because it's so powerful. And unfortunately, because it's not always practiced as it should be. You encourage others with your actions. You know, what we say is tremendously important. But all by itself, talk is... There you go. See, you already know it, right? Our words are tremendously important, but all by themselves, talk is cheap. Y'all know people. They're right there to tell you what you want to hear and tell you all the good stuff and stuff, but when you really need them, where are they? Right? Talk is cheap. So we encourage others with your actions. Can you imagine this, this story here? And Joab is talking to his brother Abishai. He says, listen, Abishai, this is a difficult situation. But you know what? We're in this together and we're, you know, we're, be encouraged and let's encourage everybody else. I just want to let you know the battle's starting in the morning. Tonight, I'm going to go back and give David a report, okay? So tomorrow, you guys go at it, all right? How do you think that would make Abishai feel about his brother, Joab? It's like, right, Joab. Talk is cheap. That didn't happen. We're together in this. We need to back up our words with actions. We need to be there for each other. We, as we talked about this last Wednesday night, we need to put feet to our prayers. Do something about what God has called us to do, not just talk about it. Encourage others with your actions. But I want to throw in this other idea. The opposite is true, too. And what I mean by that is that not only do we need to help others and work with others to see accomplished what needs to be accomplished, we need to be willing to allow others to help us. Sometimes people get caught up in pride, pride, end up doing more than they should when they're supposed to get others to help them. Or they carry a burden alone. I can tell you that that hasn't happened for the most part, I would say. We all have a tendency sometimes to just do more than maybe we should in our preparations for these next two weeks. As I said, Elder Lynn has been giving leadership to that, but he almost immediately formed a committee and began to delegate things. And over the last weeks and months, as we're getting closer, you know, and things have to be done, and different people have gotten different assignments and different responsibilities. And 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 and, and, and so there's been that. And, and I think that the, 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 
one of the greatest examples of this happened um, Friday night. I mentioned they delivered the tent late. It was supposed to come on Thursday. It came late Friday. It's supposed to come Thursday so they could set up and it could be inspected. Well, they're just setting it up and they set it, they didn't finish setting it up until well into the evening, well too late for the inspection to happen. And, and a number of our men were here watching, helping however they could or whatever. And, and Brother Lynn, Elder Lynn was here. And I saw him uh, later that evening and he was exhausted. So I'm sitting at home Friday night, my wife and I, and I get a phone call from Elder Lynn. And he says, Pastor, you know, we got that prayer meeting at the church tomorrow morning. He says, can you and Pastor Jan take care of the prayer meeting? I said, yeah, we would be more than glad to take care of the prayer meeting. He was exhausted. We've been encouraging, get some rest, get some rest, get some rest. He was not so full of pride that he had to say, you know what? I called a prayer meeting for tomorrow morning. I've got to, he was here, but I've got to handle this. I've got to be up there in front of everybody and I've got to do everything. No, he says, you know what? We need help. I need help. And he reached out for it. I should have asked him if I could use that as an illustration, but I did anyway. I know he doesn't mind. But I just want to throw that out there because apart from this whole crusade thing, some of you don't reach out for help because you've got too much pride going on inside and you need to not do that. You need to reach out. Encourage others with your actions. Job was a mighty warrior, but he was not so foolish to think he didn't need help, and he wasn't ashamed to ask for it. I've confessed this many times as a pastor. I can't do all the things that I'm full, uh, you know, have oversight for. There's no way. I am so dependent on my wife, our elders, our deacons, our deaconesses, all of you. I'm not ashamed to admit it. So glad the way we work together because we're all in this together. We're all in this together. And you as individuals, you need good, godly friends that can encourage you and help you and pray for you. And at times, lovingly and gently say, hey, listen, I think you're headed the wrong direction. I'm concerned about you. And if you don't have friends like that, you need to find some. You don't just open up like that to anybody and everybody. But I believe that God will provide those for you if you look for them. You need good friends. But I want to throw this thought out there. You need good friends, but don't just have a good friend, be one. Don't just have a good friend, be one. You know, make sure that you're being that kind of friend for someone else. Not just one, but whoever God leads you to. Encourage others with your actions. You know, they find themselves in this difficult situation. Job and Abishai are facing two totally different directions, but they know that they have each other's backs. And that can be true of us sometimes. I may be dealing with a problem that's got me focused over here. You're dealing with a problem that's got you focused over there. We've got to deal with that problem, but we've got to know that we have each other's backs. We have each other's backs. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. The writer of Hebrews says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good good works, not neglecting to meet together. This verse is not about having church services. It applies to that. This verse applies to being in relationship with each other and maintaining that close contact and building those relationships. Don't let that fall apart. Don't isolate yourself. 
Why? Well, let me just finish. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of, habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The end times are going to get worse and worse and worse. In our own lives, as you're facing difficulties, the more you see the difficulties, listen, don't isolate yourself. We need to be there for each other. The third and last one. Encourage others to trust God. Encourage God, uh, encourage others with your words, encourage others with your actions, and encourage others to trust God. Look back at verse 12. The words from Joab says, be of good courage. And let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. Now I'll tell you something. We said positive words are good, but if they're not backed up with actions, talk is cheap. Positive words and positive actions are great, but if they're not steered the right direction, we'll still go off a cliff. What do I mean by that? Our positive words and positive actions need to be lined up with God and his principles and his purposes and his plans. And if we do that, we know we can count on not only each other, but God. And so we need to encourage each other. We need to encourage others to trust God. Now, by trusting God, it doesn't mean that we don't have to do anything. Joab and Abishai and the armies are still going to have to fight. But they're trusting God. And in the same way with the difficulties we face, sometimes we're facing difficulties, there is nothing we can do. We just got to trust God and God, here it is. But many times there are things that we can do and things that we should do. In planning for these meetings, this crusade services we're going to have in the next couple of weeks, there is a lot of planning and a lot of work that went on and a lot more to do. Our responsibility is to do everything we can do to pursue what God is guiding us to do and then leave the rest to him. And that's been the spirit behind all that we've said and done throughout this whole process is we've got to do this, we've got to do this. Has somebody thought of that? Has somebody talked to the, you know, the, the county about getting a permit? What's it going to take? How are we going to raise the money? Blah, 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 blah. God's going to help us, but we've got to do our part. We're going to have fundraisers. We're going to take offerings. We're going to do this. Who's going to help put the chairs out? They all were done yesterday. Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. But all along the way, it's like we're going to do all this stuff. And then God, we're praying because we can do all that and it can amount to nothing if we're not dependent on you, and if you don't show up and do something. Encourage others to trust God. Now, look at what Job says here, because it almost sounds like, does he have faith or does he not have faith? He says, and may the Lord do what seems good to him. I don't know about you, but if I was Abishai, Job's brother, I would have preferred Job say something like, let's encourage one another, we're out here, God's on our side, we're going to win! And I really think that's in Job's heart, but I think what it is is that Job is like, I know we're in the right here. I know we're following the guidelines of our ruler, King David, who's trying to pursue God and his plan for our nation. But I'm not really sure exactly how it's all going to work out. But you know what? Even though I'm not really sure how it's all going to work out, we're still going to trust God. Can I tell you it takes more faith to say that, believe that, and act on it that then they just say, God's going to take care of it. Yay! Right? And we see that this is not something unusual in Scripture. We see people in Scripture that God's given them a word. I'm giving you victory. They step out in that. They declare it. They proclaim it. And they get it. 
But there's other times where they've got kind of an indication. They know they're doing the right thing and they're just trusting God along the way. You know, they're just trusting God to do what God knows is best. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The story where they wouldn't bow before the idol. And the king says, listen, you bow before this idol or you're going in the fiery furnace. What are you going to do? And the response basically was, king, we don't really need to think about this because our God can deliver us from this situation. And he will deliver us one way or the other. But however it turns out, we're serving God. And the meaning behind their words is, you know what? God can deliver us. He can keep us out of the furnace. He can deliver us out of the furnace. And that's exactly what God did. But the idea was, but you know what? Even if we die in the furnace, it doesn't matter. We're still putting our faith in God. Serve him. I think of Queen Esther. Many of you probably are familiar with that story. The queen of a nation whose king had been persuaded to put all the Jews to death, not knowing that his wife, Queen Esther, was a Jew. And Queen Esther's uncle or cousin, the word can mean either one there, says, listen, you've got to talk to the king. So if I try to go talk to the king and he's in a bad mood, he can have me put to death. Mordecai says, what other, what other hope is there? God's going to take care of this. It can be either through you or not. But you may end up dead anyway. And, and her response basically is, you know what? Okay, let's pray and fast for three days. And I'm going to go before the king. If I die, I die. But I'm going to trust God. Now, she doesn't say those exact words because the name of God actually isn't mentioned in the book of Esther, although he shows up everywhere in that book. But that's the attitude. Sometimes we don't know exactly how God's going to do and what the exact result's going to be, but we're still going to trust God. And so whether we know for sure we've got a definite promise or just a kind of a, a general sensation of what's going to happen or what God wants to do, we can trust God and we should encourage one another to trust God. To trust God. Trust God even when you don't know what he's going to do. Trust God especially when you don't know what God's going to do. We don't know everything's going to happen over the next two weeks as a result of these special services. We don't know if we're going to have fantastic weather every day or we don't know what kind of problems might pop up or what the enemy might do. But you know what? We're going to trust God that he's going to get us through and he's going to bring about the solution. You know, when the tent was not uh, inspected and given the certificate of occupancy, it had been so easy to kind of get down. It's like, man, why didn't God come through? Nobody had that attitude, at least that they expressed. Everybody's like, you know what? Doesn't take God by surprise. At least we got a building we can be in the first night and then we can go under the tent. We're good. We're going forward. We've been having some trouble in the last week or so with some of the equipment we have to do live streaming. This morning it started acting up again. We're going to live stream these services and we want to continue to live stream all of our stuff. But you know what we did? We did what we could do. Deacon Charles called the company. They got it worked out for this morning. I hope we're live streaming. If we are, good to see you guys out there. If not, I just waved at nobody. But anyway, he called the company. They worked through. We think it's, I, I think it's where we're running this morning. But they said, well, you know what? Your equipment is getting old. We've had the same equipment, that particular piece of equipment for a long time since we first started live streaming. So you need to upgrade. So he put an order in. It'll be in later on this week. We're praying and believing God's going to let us live stream with the old equipment till the new comes and we'll hook up the new equipment. But you know what? Whatever happens, God knows. And we're trusting God. We're trusting God. We're trusting God. You know, the promise 
that we always need to cling to, and I've mentioned this all the time, is Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to his purpose. That's what we cling to. When God doesn't do what we want him to do or when we want him to do it, we just say, okay, God, you've got a better plan. You've got a bigger plan. I'm going to trust you anyway. And we need to encourage each other to do that. So I just want to encourage you to keep in mind that our battle is not primarily against other people. Not just this event, but our personal conflicts and all kinds of stuff. But we have this enemy that we've been talking about all morning. I want to read one other passage here. If you want to turn there, you can, but you don't have to. I'll read it to you. It's in Ephesians chapter 6. The whole chapter is the one that's the primary focus of spiritual warfare, and it's really about your standing with God against the enemy's attacks against you personally, but it applies to all of us together too. I'm not going to read the whole passage, just a couple of verses, but Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's advice to each and every one of us as individuals, but it's advice to all of us together because we're all in this together. I want you to think about the way the enemy comes against us as individuals, as a church. As we see it in this story, we see how the enemy might cause us to be mistreated or abused at the hands of other people, just like David's emissaries. We see the enemy's attempts to try to insult and humiliate and discourage. Haven't you experienced that before? The enemy coming to you to insult you, humiliate you, try to discourage you? To intimidate In this story, much larger forces coming against the army of God. Intimidation. Trying to cause division. I see this in how the army's on two sides. They've got to split their forces, face different ways. But rather than seeing that as just a negative thing, they turn it into a positive. It's like, you know what? We're going to do what God calls us to do. I'm going to do my part. You're going to do my part. But we are there for each other. We've got each other's backs. But the enemy would like to take a situation like that and get you to where you're totally separated from one another and cause division. And then the other one is this. And that is the enemy keeps coming back. That's the part I don't like. I love it when God brings a victory. But it isn't too long before the enemy comes back again. You know, even in Jesus' own experience when he was tempted in the wilderness, in the story in Luke chapter 4, it talks about how the devil left him for a while until an opportune time. And you know what? We see it in this story too, but you don't know that unless you read the rest of it. The end of the story, it just says that the Syrians took off and the Ammonites retreated into their city and Job came home. Well, they got a victory, but it wasn't a total victory. Because if you read the rest of the story, you see that these mercenaries that fled back home were so ticked off at what happened, they gathered some more and came back for another fight. But read it in the next chapter. David took his army, totally defeated them. And then you see the Ammonites that had been standing in front of their city gates, because the city gates is the place of power and defense and everything. So if things don't go right, you back up into the city gates and you still defend yourself. And that's what they're doing. You read the next couple chapters. Joab goes back with an army. It takes a little while. There's a siege, but the city is defeated. 
So we'll fight a number of battles over the next couple of weeks. We'll fight a number of battles through our lives, and we'll get some victories. But the enemy's going to keep coming back. But that's okay, because each time God's going to help us to get a victory. That's true in our personal lives. It's true in the things we do together. But we need to make sure that we're all in this together, and we have each other's backs. One more verse I want to read to you. I said that the Ammonites had retreated into their city at the city gates because the city gates was the place of strength, defense. You know, as I said, it took a siege to bring this city down because of the defenses they had. But they eventually did, and the gate fell. But that could, that, I couldn't help but think of what Jesus said in Matthew sixteen eighteen. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates will fall. The gates will fall. The gates can fall in your life. Gates are going to fall over the next two weeks. As we try to follow what we believe God has led us to do to the best of our ability. We've done what we can. We're going to continue to do what we can. We're going to encourage each other with our words. We're going to encourage each other with our actions because we're going to be involved. We're going to, we're going to do what we can do. But then we're going to trust God. Here's what we're going to do to close the service today. I'm going to invite you to stand. We had a great prayer time right after worship to pray for personal needs. So we're not going to focus on that right now. Instead, I want us to join together. Join to us to join together because we're in this together to pray again because a lot of prayers have gone up and it won't be the last one but to pray together as this body gathered in this place this morning for the events of the next two weeks will you join with me heavenly father we just come to you right now and god we thank you that even though we have a powerful enemy an enemy that is much stronger than any of us individually and to be honest an enemy that is much stronger than all of us together but God the difference is that we're all in this together and we're following you and you're on our side well actually we're on your side so God right now we just join our voices and our thoughts and our hearts and our prayers together as we have been, as we will continue to do, Lord God, for the next two weeks, starting tonight, as we'll be having special services each night, Lord God. Joining with other churches, Lord God. And the goal is to give glory and honor to you. And we'll have some great fellowships, some great times of worship and all that. But Lord, we want people to come to know Jesus. And God, we know that's your heartbeat. So, Father, right now, we just pray that you would speak to us as individuals, Lord God. Some of us, we already know what we're going to be doing we already know how we're going to be helping out. Although none of us know the full extent because things can come up along the way that's going to change that a little bit. Help us, Lord God, to be sensitive to your spirit. Help us to be sensitive to our leadership so that whatever we're doing, we can shift and do what you want us to do at any particular time. I pray for every single person who's going to be involved, whether they've already committed or maybe they haven't committed yet, but they're going to. Lord, in whatever area in which they're going to serve, that you would help them to give it their best. And Lord, that they would have the sense of being used by you in some way to see people come to know Jesus. We pray that whatever responsibility is there, whether it's running a piece of equipment, playing an instrument, singing a song, preaching a word, sharing around the altar, 
moving chairs, sitting behind a table to take care of some details, handing out things, whatever it might be. We pray that every aspect would be covered and would be done well. We pray that every need would be met, Lord God. Father, we pray that you would help us as you lead us, Lord God, as to who we might invite, that we would do that, Lord God. We pray that you'd work in the hearts of the people that you want to be here. Some already know about it. Some don't have a clue, but somehow they're going to hear about it. That you would be drawn to this place and that your spirit would continue the work that you have already begun. And Lord, I pray, Lord God, that in a very big, major way, the gates of hell will not prevail against the onslaught that we want to bring over the next two weeks. But God, it doesn't come down to us. We can't do it without you. Can't do it without you. We need you, Lord. We need you. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've asked Pastor Nate and our team to lead us in at least a portion of the chorus that we sang earlier about how when God gets involved, chains break, fear is bound. We're going to sing that through however long he feels we need to do that, and then he's going to close our service in prayer. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 